0: breaking news and trending talk with mike and mccarty mornings on 1017 fm and 710 keel tires and diagnostics we do it all get more at moore's moore's tire and service center online at
1: moorestireandservicecenter.com
0: One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty and and this is this is the classic save it for the radio because now we've been we, I know we, we have we, so much. I know there's so much to cover.
1: We gotta start with the letter.
0: Let me let me introduce yeah. Tim Magner, mm-hmm. is in studio with us this morning. Uh your uh chairman, CEO, president, president. Grand Poo Bah, mm-hmm. what is it? the <laughs> president of the uh uh, uh Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. Thank you for joining us this morning.
2: Good, great to be here.
0: This is uh, tell it now. Tell us about first of all why why is this coming up even this this proposed uh, update to Shreveport Master Plan the nineteenth uh, uh, the thirteenth. Good lord, twenty thirty yeah. mm-hmm. Master Plan.
2: Right. So the so the twenty thirty Master Plan uh, has been uh, has been around uh, actually for for quite a number of years, mm-hmm. and I guess uh, the the MPC has decided that now is the time to update it. Um, I'm not. Sure, uh, what the urgency is, but but they've they've decided that they want to update it, and so um, they put out an RFP um, allegedly, and um, there there was one respondent, and the one respondent happens to include um, two subcontractors who uh, are in a rela- uh, who are in a business relationship or at least an organizational relationship with the chair of the MPC, so. You know, I mean, I was a Fed. We we've done RFPs. Usually, when you get one response, um, you go back to the drawing board. You they say, "Hey, look, you know, sure, we mm-hmm. wanna. We really wanna uh, take a look at this. Uh, was the was it too restrictive? Did we not advertise enough? Did we not? Were we not clear about what we were looking for?" And you know we when we've done it at the chamber I've done it as a fed uh, you go back to the drawing board and you and, and you reopen it and you can still you know depending on how you you write the rules you can still use the ones that that have come in before um, but in most cases that's a very um it, it, it's not a good it's not a good way to to do especially government businesses to have a have a
1: single respondent uh, the the Request for proposals. The company that that is the only bidder, I believe, is from Austin, mm-hmm. and they have subcontractors that would would be Community Renewal and Richards Creative. Correct. What would those two entities do for this master plan update? Uh,
2: it's not clear what, what role they would. I mean, Richard Creative does websites and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, they, they've done the website for Allendale Strong. So I, I'm assuming that they would do some kind of web or, or, or graphics treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, community renewal, I, I'm not sure. You know, I, my experience with community renewal has been the friendship houses. So I don't, I don't know what role know what And they have they built
1: play. many friendship houses in Allendale.
2: Uh, well, they've been at least, built at least one in, mm-hmm. in Allendale, um, but but um, you know my understanding is that, that you know community renewal has a has a very different um, role than as a subcontractor to uh, you know an architectural or, or or design firm. But again, I you know the 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 point I guess from our perspective is that the master plan is the distillation of, as you said, a, a long time process of community the community coming together to define um, its goals for the future mm-hmm. where to, we want to go and to put that at risk with with um, both you know only having one respondent a and b, you know it, to me there's a at least an appearance of a conflict of interest when when the chair and the the groups that the chair is is um, promoting are the subcontractors or are involved in the, the subcontractors uh, for this. Um, you know, it, it already, in my view, um, starts it off on a weak footing. It, it, call, it could call into question whatever this group comes up with. So I think in, in the, in the contractor's interest, if I was the, the only respondent and I knew about this, I'd be like, hey, you know what? We want a fair process. We, we, we want to fight for this. And if it turns out that we're the, we're the best um, across the board that's great then it seems to me you can you can defend the process you can defend the um the group by saying hey look they went through a transparent process they were they were clearly the best not the only but the best mm-hmm. um and then uh, you know and then we're in a we're in a position to to have a a, a much better dialogue about how the process goes my understanding is that the MPC is supposed to vote on whether to accept this contract tomorrow and you know well, that was
0: my next question. so what's the next step? There is a vote scheduled for tomorrow tomorrow on whether or not to accept this one this one proposal co-
2: correct. And so that's why we you know we wrote a letter to to uh, Mr. Clark and to mm-hmm. uh, the mayor and basically said, "Hey, look." You know, we just think this. That you need to reopen the process. These folks can rebid. I, you know, I don't. I I don't want to cast any aspersions on the on the qualifications of the Escura Robinson folks. They they may be great at this, but I think that you know to to only have one and to have the questions about the the relationships between the subcontractors and you know an advocacy organization that you know seems very divisive in this community. It seems to me an a, a, a own goal, if you will, for the MPC.
1: The 2030 master plan, as it exists, I'm looking at it now, mm-hmm. does it not pitch and, and propose finishing the inner city connector? Yes, it does. And this update, the concern is this update might completely change that.
2: Well, especially when you look at again, I mean, you know, all of this is circumstantial. But you look at the chair of the MPC, who is an avowed um, uh, advocate for and a member of the board for Allendale Strong. You now have two subcontractors um, in the in this um, in this bidder, uh, who are also um, you know advocates for vocal advocates for um, Allendale Strong, and you know. Um, logic would dictate that they would want to put their particular perspective into the master plan. And I think when you have what is, um, you know, a a, a marginal view uh, in the community, I mean, 96% of the people who went to all of those multiple meetings, 10, 12 meetings are for this, this road. It's in the master plan and to have, you know, this sort of, you know, to have a scenario in which that minority view can suddenly be you know inserted into something that is supposed to represent the broadest community view through what I would argue is um sort of a, a, at least a curious process. This sounds like
0: crap that would go on in Chicago or mm-hmm. Detroit or something like that it's it's sad
2: tim it's what has happened well again, I mean uh, you know when you, um, you know the people who are chairs of organizations have have a certain amount of discretion, and all we're asking is that the the chair the director of the MPC and that the MPC board, you know, essentially hit the reset button on this. You know these folks if if they wanna if they wanna apply again, that's great. But I think we have to have we have to have at least more than one option. And we have to have an option that, uh, that at least isn't as apparently compromised as this one is.
1: But while we're fighting among ourselves, um, the money could be going away to Lafayette or to other parts of the state because you have a lot of state leaders saying you guys have to get your act together up there before we sign off on this I well, mean that's a problem
2: there was a there was a um, an amendment to s b one forty six just this term that you know mercifully failed, but it would have taken the money uh, away so yeah i mean what what I guess is is you know they talk about you know, cave people, citizens against virtually everything. Right? They, mm-hmm. they don't like what, what, what the way things are now, and they don't like change. And what we've got now is, you know, the the folks at Allendale Strong. They've they've put, um, uh, they've gotten reporters who are who share this agenda from around the country. So they've gotten one article that says, uh, you know, I forty nine will ruin the community, and they've got another one that says. Not doing it is ruining the community, <laughs> mm. and so you know I think what we, what we have to look at here there's there 's a there's a thing called correlation versus causation, right? Correlation is you make your uh, your sausage balls and the mm-hmm. Saints win, right? Right. Those two things happen, but they didn't happen together. You, I, I've mm-hmm. never had your sausage balls, and I understand they're great, <laughs> but um, I don't think that's I'd the reason that. the Saints win, right? <laughs> right. Um, no, you're right. And so, and so that's the same, same situation. Um, there was a comment that was, you know, yesterday about how. Uh, I-49 divided um, Cedar Grove. Well, if you look at the maps, look at the maps, 1899, okay? We have a map of the railroads that that were – Shreveport used to be the confluence of five separate railroads, Mm. okay? Those railroads go right down. Cedar Grove was actually built around the railroad. Okay, and and I forty nine follows the railroad mm-hmm. all the way mm-hmm. down until right. Fort Lucas. Mm-hmm. So the, I mean, the divisions are there. Did did do did two things happen? Yes. Did they cause one another? No. You know, when you look at what Allendale Strong is advocating for, they have this this thing called Strodes, right? These forty five mile an hour things that they say are bad. They say so what's good are streets, you know, going twenty five miles an hour. What's good are, are is separating through and downtown traffic. Yes, we're saying the same thing. They're saying, you know, 25 miles an hour is good, 70 miles an hour is good. Great. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a highway that runs along the edge of a neighborhood that has been disinvested for uh, two generations. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at when, you know, in in 1960, I, there's four different – um there's four different uh, uh, census tracts that make up Allendale. When you look at that in 1960, that's the first year for which we have census tract information. There were about 34,000 people in Allendale. By 1970, there were 16,000. Okay, mm-hmm. there was a huge depopulation that happened uh, around the country. You saw, uh, you know, urban depopulation is a you know, long before we started was, talking about I-49. 50
0: years yeah. ago,
2: right? And and and. Every decade, if you look at the census data, uh, it, Allendale has lost about twenty percent of its population. Mm. It's now down to less than four thousand people. Okay, but the, the the issue here is the biggest issue that we're facing is not sprawl; it's the fact that we cannot um, dispose of adjudicated properties. The adjudicated property process. We have fourteen over fourteen hundred acres. Of adjudicated property, we have thousands, Mm. seven, eight, nine thousand adjudicated properties, and the problem is you can't clear title because the process. If if you buy if you buy one of these properties at tax sale, right? You basically buy a tax lien, and up you can you build a house on it. Three years from now, somebody can come and say, "Oh yeah, my grandfather, you know, left me a fractional percentage Mm -hmm. of that." They get the land back. And so,
0: but businesses aren't looking to buy land in that area. Well, there's, there's no development going on in that area.
2: Well, I would argue though that part of the reason for that is because the reason why we're building outside the city is because it's easier. Because you can clear title. Because you can get at, you can own the land. No, no developer is going to going to buy and build houses if they don't if they can't own the land. So when you look at neighborhoods, you look at neighborhoods like Cedar Grove. You look at places in Allendale. There are there's. Um, land available. There, there could be development there, but the biggest issue that we've got is the adjudicated property uh, process being able to clear title. So we could do a whole hour. Oh, on
1: I, this. Know. I know. There's, there's
2: so much here, and and what's what's really disappointing about it is there's so much um, there's so much confusion.
1: Radiator replacement, cooling system flushes, and pressure tests. They also provide on-site mobile installation services. Visit DespinoTire.com. <laughs>
0: 101.7 FM, 710 Keel, Mike McCarty, and on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline, we are always honored to have Senator John Kennedy joining
3: us. Senator, good morning, sir. Good morning, Mike. Good morning,
1: Aaron. Morning. Senator Kennedy, can we turn our attention to in-state where we're flush with cash? We are rolling in dough right now, and you, mm-hmm. you are our state treasurer for a long time. What would our U.S. senator tell our lawmakers and our governor and our other leaders about all this cash we're rolling in in Baton Rouge, that they're trying to find ways to spend it?
3: I would tell them don't waste it.
1: Louisiana
3: state government has more money at the moment than it's ever had since Louisiana became a state in 1812 adjusted for inflation. I know because Congress sent most of it to Louisiana. And I sit on the Appropriations Committee, and I know every penny that goes out the door to Louisiana. We sent about $50 billion to Louisiana during the pandemic. Half of that went to uh, state and local government. Half of that went to people and stimulus checks. I would tell the legislature not to waste it. I like the idea that they're going to raise teacher pay. Uh, The House and the Senate seem to have worked out a way to do that. We need to be at least at the southern average. Um, the most, this isn't, doesn't have to do with spending, but I, I predict that the most far-reaching positive impact on Louisiana's future will be House Bill 12 by Richard Nell. It just passed the Senate mm-hmm. after the Senate defeated it last year. What does it do? It basically says if you... You're not going to get out of the third grade until you can read. If you can't read after the third grade, mm-hmm. we're going to hold you back and give you intensive tutoring. And Mississippi did it. Florida did it. Other states have done it. If you can't read, um, leaving the third grade, you've got no chance. And Richard got it passed. I congratulate him. I hope the governor signs it.
1: If we have $1.6 in surplus, like they're talking about, the number changes all the time, should we not prioritize some of the backlog of roads and bridges and projects in our state and beefing up our school security, Um, you know, things that are not recurring expenses? Shouldn't that be a priority and, of course, saving money, too?
3: Well, of course, you're right, Aaron. Um, But sometimes... In, in the political process, logic has nothing to do with it. Um, I always got in a lot of trouble as state treasurer by preaching that you shouldn't match up one-time money with recurring revenue, that you ought to uh, try to prioritize your spending and spend, it, spend it, the money on things that you need the most. I would be very specific when I was state treasurer, and that, that made a lot of people mad, but I thought I was making the right people mad. The legislature says it is trying to do that. I, I don't, I can't comment on that one way or the other because I really haven't studied uh, their budget. But I, I hope that's what they've done. But it is a breathtaking amount of money. It's I've never seen anything like it.
0: So if you had the opportunity to say, "Look, this is what I suggest you do," what would be your suggestions on on the best way to spend? Well, this I would,
3: money? I would, uh, if I were king for a day, I would, I would raise teacher pay. Um I would look at um uh ramping up spending for not just uh uh four year olds students to, to kindergarten but also for kids before they're four year four mm-hmm. years old. They try to catch these youngsters early. I would try to figure out a way to reduce the cost of tuition in our colleges and universities. It's gotten ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And it's clear that the the universities are not on their own going to do it. They just keep saying more and more money. And perhaps in some areas they do need more money, but somebody needs to take a good look at them. I would then take a look at our infrastructure needs, not just roads and bridges, but uh, water, internet, um coastal restoration and uh try to, to allocate scarce resources in a rational manner now that's going to take leadership um i don't think we have that leadership right now from governor edwards because he's a lame duck and um, uh uh governor edwards is in my judgment a, a pretty, pretty pretty left of center and he has his own pet projects, like everybody else does. Um, but that's what I
1: would try to do, Senator John Kennedy. We and, I, and I, let me just say, and I would save,
3: I would save as much of it as I could yeah. because uh, sure, this new sales tax that is going to roll off, mm-hmm. and the legislature may not renew it. In which case, uh, we'll uh, we'll need the money.
0: There are no stipulations, or are there stipulations on? Yes, you have to spend it all right now. Right, either. exactly. Good point. Well, well wait, you what? don't
3: have you don't have to spend it all right now, but it's an election year. I understand the pressure on them to spend it. Um, I, I would- There's no better way than
1: Babble Text radio to sixty-four thousand to try Babel for free. Text radio to sixty-four thousand.
0: 1017 FM, 710 KEO, Mike and McCarty, and on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline with the uh, MPC, Bill Mitchell joining us. Good morning, sir. Bill Robertson. That's what I said, (laughs) Bill Robertson. (laughs) Hey, Mike, uh, how are you? Doing well. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you uh, jumping on here short notice like this. No problem. Happy to do it.
1: Bill, um Tim Magner was in last hour and um, raises some concerns, sent you guys a letter with regard to the uh, RFP for the update of the master plan. Uh Questioning first, why is it needed now? Why do we need an update to the master plan?
4: My understanding, Aaron, is that the master plan is more than 10 years old and the uh, city feels like it needs to be updated with some new information when you say the city the city, who is
1: the city is this was this a directive of the mayor was it a directive no, of the no. mpc director
4: well the mpc has a certain amount of autonomy from the city uh and so i think it's primarily an internal thing but but the mpc is largely now a city uh agency after the um the loss of the five-mile territory in that legislation that passed several years ago. So when I say the city, I mean the MPC broadly, but uh, basically the master plan is more than 10 years old, and there are some things that need to be updated.
1: There have been some allegations made, and that's why I called you, against you directly, um, that it's a conflict of interest for you to serve as chairman of the MPC, and as a representative of Allendale Strong, that those two kind of cannot coexist. You disagree strongly, I guess.
4: Well, I understand the concerns, and I think I didn't make it real clear to the audience that I have an affiliation with Allendale Strong when we had our special meeting last week. But that's no secret to the staff and the other members of the MPC. I've told them from almost the beginning of my service there that I have a sympathy for Allendale Strong and what they're trying to attempt. And when they came to me and said they have some concerns about conflicts between uh, the city's master plan and the transportation plans that are followed by the Council of Governments, I said, well, let's hear it. Uh, We'll give you an opportunity to speak. And so that's what happened last
0: week talking with Bill Robertson from the uh, Shreveport Metropolitan Planning Commission Bill with the uh, RFP only getting one response uh, I I hear you guys are taking a vote tomorrow are you planning on rebooting now or or do you, do you expect to push through and accept this one RFP, this one proposal
4: Mike I'm going to listen to the staff and what they have to say uh, I would certainly be more comfortable with more than one proposal I'd like to see other firms get involved and give us some competition, but I don't know all the details and I don't know the time frame that the staff wants to pursue in terms of updating this plan. So I'm going to play it by ear uh, tomorrow when I hear from staff.
1: Your meeting last week got very sideways, and I'm going to quote Chris Elberson, an MP, one of your fellow MPC members, who said, "Quote: I'm unhappy that you have characterized." pro-interstate people as propagandists and racists mayor arsenault said i agree with chris i felt insulted did that meeting go too far
4: i don't think so Aaron. uh there's a history of uh, racism involved in the placement of interstates all throughout this country and uh uh the Inter, excuse me, Inner City Connector for I-49 has been on the books for decades but it's never moved forward. So people who want that,
1: people who want that freeway, you think are racist?
4: The federal government canceled that project in the 1990s for several reasons. Number 1, it goes through a inner city neighborhood, mostly African American. It also goes through a wetlands area in North Freeport. And we have a loop already. We have 3132 and we have Interstate 220. So the feds canceled the project. What I'm saying is that interstates never really should have gone through cities. They should stop at the edge of cities and allow the surface traffic to go on surface streets and let the through traffic go around the bypasses. We're fortunate we have a bypass. Uh, a number of cities have bypasses already. So there is racism involved in the placement of interstate highways. That's really undeniable. And the uh, the parties that raised objections at the meeting last week, you know, they're viable objections. If you want to talk about that, we can talk about that in a lot of detail. But, Bill, saying uh,
0: planning an, an interstate is racist. I mean, with the with the makeup of Shreveport being 60% black, no matter where you route it, it's going to cut through a neighborhood. It's going yeah, to really cut through an cut urban through area.
1: No freeway Free- should, so no think- should exist, Bill?
4: No, you guys aren't, aren't listening to me. Freeways should not go through cities. They should go around cities. Now, listen, that's all done. Interstate 20 cut a big swath right through right. the middle of Shreveport in the 60s, and Interstate 49 did the same thing for South Shreveport. They don't enhance neighborhoods. They destroy neighborhoods. And what neighborhoods do they pick? They pick the neighborhoods that are least politically able to resist. You don't see interstate highways going through
1: Broadmoor, Southern Riley, Trace, right, you're right.
4: South Highland. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they just don't. But, <clears throat> but I think it's important for people to understand that uh, uh, the federal government imposed this regime on all the American cities and that what they were doing was disconnecting transportation planning from land use planning. We have land use planning at the MPC. We plan neighborhoods, we plan rezonings, et cetera, et cetera. And, and when you, when you build freeways through cities, you blow all that apart. And so, uh, that's the, the legacy we're living with now. It's a very difficult legacy. If you don't think so, ask anybody who came up in Allendale or Crosstown or Cedar Grove uh, any number of of communities that were divided by these highways so we've got to we've got to deal with that you, and we've got to decide if we want to keep doing it
1: you said the federal government canceled intercity connector then why are we still fighting over it it's not completely dead
4: You'd have to ask the the Committee of 100 and the Chamber of Commerce that question, Aaron. You should have them on and ask them why they want to build this road that nobody needs.
1: You know, there's people that are going to disagree. They're going to say people do need it, that the master plan doesn't need to be updated, and that this is just an attempt by some people to change the master plan to delete the inner city connector from it. Is that an ulterior motive that you've heard people talk about?
4: Uh, no, I really don't think so. Uh, uh, the staff wants to deal with a variety of aspects of the master plan, and uh, uh, transportation may be one of them. I don't know if it's up to me. I would certainly ask land use planners to evaluate the connector. It's a three and a half mile road, and it's going to cost almost a billion dollars, and it goes through some some very tough territory. And <clears throat> let me just tell you this, Aaron. The tiniest little rezoning, the smallest little subdivision project that comes before the MPC gets a multi-page staff analysis, multi-page. When the commission in 2016 endorsed the connector prior to my arrival there, uh, there was no staff analysis at all. They just rubber-stamped it a resolution of support. So what I'm saying is that freeways going through cities are destructive and disruptive. So they need to be evaluated first so that we can make the best choices for our community. The the update of the master plan doesn't directly involve I-49. It may be part of the mix. I don't know. When the master plan was up...
0: Expect intriguing mystery. Expect the undetectives. Start streaming today at quickbox.com. one oh one seven FM seven ten Keel Mike and McCarty.
1: <laughs>
0: we don't have time to get into this, but this just Aaron, first it was our our, our they're going after your gas stoves.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah well now Biden wants your gas furnace.
1: Uh uh-uh, uh really they're
0: enacting new legislation to make it very strict on, on gas furnace regulations um to increase the uh, the efficiency output Currently it's like 80%, it's it's there's an AFUE which stands for annual fuel utilization efficiency. Okay. And the standard is right now about 80%. They want to increase it to 95%. So retrofitting appliances, equipment in your home mm-hmm. cost he's it's yeah. non-stop. It's oh, just non-stop. Boy. Your cars what are they coming for next? You know, Mm -hmm. we have a heater in our home, Mm -hmm. uh, a gas heater in our living room. It's in our fireplace. It's like a log thing.
1: It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. In January, I mean, that thing will heat up most of the house. You bet. There are already no more gas-powered lawnmowers in California. You can't buy them anymore. They're gone. They're gone.
0: And they're going for your automobiles. Uh. But the grid can't handle charging. (laughs) Don't run your.
1: What states had the most problems with the power grid? Yeah. Mm. When is so California going to break off? more? I hadn't even heard no, that. No, that that's bad. gone. They're they're done. They're done. Or it's next year. The land uh, of is, fruits and nuts. When is it going to fall off into the ocean? Is oh, yeah, it time? It's
0: like, yeah, I, I remember the the old joke is uh, the California was de- defined as an island off the coast of Nevada.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, it's supposed to break off any day now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the San Andreas Fault.
1: I'll help push.
0: <laughs> yeah. <sighs> oh, sorry. Where it was a few uh, few strategically placed sticks of dynamite would yeah. solve that problem. Let me
1: get my son out of there first. Yeah, and no then kidding. I'll go put.
0: 1-8255-1332 or visit markjohnsonplumbing.com. Another problem solved by Mark Johnson Plumbing. 1017 FM, 710 Kiel, Mike and McCarty on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline, the man with the greatest job in the world, Lieutenant Governor Billy Nunn. Guess sir. Good morning. How are you this morning?
5: I'm doing great, my friend. How are you?
0: Doing well. You're getting ready for a big trip to Australia and New Zealand. Tell us about uh, why you're heading over there.
5: Well, this started when I first got elected and went to a tourism conference in Arizona. And I believe it was South Dakota got up and bragged about their number one international market was Australia and how they come and spend a lot of money and a lot of time seeing all of I believe it was South Dakota. So when she came off the stage, I, I said, What do you have in South Dakota? And she goes, Not much. Not much. But I go there. I said, What do you mean? She goes, Well, they they all use a travel agent because it's so far, they want to see everything. And so they know me. So they send people there. So I came home and said, we're going to Australia. Well, COVID canceled that trip. So we reorganized, set up. We're going to meet with all the travel agents in four cities in Australia, New Zealand. We're going to meet with the film industry there and make as many contacts as we can. And um and surely get people excited about coming to Louisiana. Okay, Billy, uh, Billy, 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 Billy.
1: Well, you have got to be packing some stuff that you give out, like crawfish etouffee mix or some. What 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 is some in the Tony Bil- Yeah, what is in the Billy Nungesser freebie bag that you're bringing?
5: <laughs> well, we we will be doing some some uh, seafood dishes. We will be highlighting all the, the great things about Louisiana, and we always promote Louisiana products. Um, our tourism team puts together a goodie box that we ship over to make sure we're using all Louisiana products uh, we do that everywhere we go and um and it has a really great impact not only sell in selling Louisiana but letting them all know all the great things that we produce here as well
1: okay do you, do you just just you sell New Orleans I know that but do you sell us too oh
5: uh, listen the reason when i got elected i realized the international consultants um, back when Mitch was lieutenant governor, the state paid 75 percent of the international um, uh, consultants, but they worked for New Orleans. We just gave New all the money. Well, when I got elected and went to the first conference in, in Canada and New Orleans got up and, and stole the show and Lafayette, Lake Charles Shreveport was in the hallway, I said, no, 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 we're not doing this anymore. I brought all of them into the room. Uh, they got up and spoke about every area of the state. When I came home, we got rid of all the international reps. We hired them direct. And New Orleans wants to participate. They do it with us now. So when we go out there, wherever we go, we just had a trip in Canada where we promote every corner of the state. And the same thing with Mardi Gras. I was so proud the last two years that we saw double-digit increases in people Coming from all over the world to Mardi Gras, we had people from Japan fly into uh, Dallas and take a car to Mardi Gras in Shreveport to watch them throw hot dogs. Hmm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, New Orleans sells itself, so that's a great point. You you know, there there are other areas of the state that that feature, you know, great tourist attractions as well.
5: Well, it's it's important that we, and I tell you, especially since COVID, people want to get off the beaten path. They want to see the great outdoors. Uh, and we got so many places in Louisiana. That's why we're continuing to go around the state, filming all the cities, towns, and all the neat things they have, and pushing out videos. We did a little video of the Gothic Jail in Dorita and, and saw people flock there to see the ghost at that old jail. So all of these small-town places that are off the beaten path, and it helps the bigger cities because people stay longer. They want to see more stuff and it's really had a great impact in helping some of those smaller cities and towns around Louisiana really grow their tourism industry.
1: Speaking of filming, Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungesser, and great impact. Mhm. Um lawmakers looks like they've passed tax incentives for filming projects, uh TV, movie filming in Louisiana. How big of an impact can that have?
5: It's huge. You know, when I uh, several years ago when they got rid of the tax credit for one year, I did a study uh, and I wanted to know the impact the film industry had on tourism. And it has over a billion-dollar impact. At that time, that study showed 9% of everyone that comes to Louisiana is heavily influenced by a TV show or movie. NCIS New Orleans, um, the, the girls' trip made Essence Festival go over the top that year. But we know those movies and TV shows have a great impact. So we were able to share that with the legislators, get it renewed for five years that year, And then this last year, we knew we were going to have some trouble getting it passed with some of the people wanting to use the money elsewhere. We were able to update that study and show it even has a greater impact now. Most recently, Where the Crawdads Sing, that was filmed at one of our state parks, Fountain Blue State Park. And people are flocking to Louisiana because of that movie. So every one of the movies, what we would like to see more of, and I think it's part of the bill, is that they have to... Uh, tell in the movie the town or city they're filmed in where they superimpose it on a bridge water tower but we want them to identify with those cities and towns so when those movies are successful people want to go where movies are shot and where people were shot like Bonnie and Clyde, right here in louisiana
1: it's exciting and there are some lawmakers who say it doesn't return the bang for the buck but it's it's different than One to one dollar ratio. It's the jobs. It's all the other things connected, correct?
5: Well, I think when you add, you know, on a conservative side, when you look at dollar for dollar, but when you add in the tourism thing and all the trickle down effect, the catering, the local set builders, the the makeup artists, uh, all of the things. And and I tell you, we've really done a good job at starting to train people for these full time jobs Mm -hmm. in the industry. And uh, and so we'll be making sure to meet with the movie people out in uh, Australia New Zealand to let them know we're open for business, that uh, they can come film movies here. And I tell you, uh, we really ought to partner more, and we're going to do that. Tourism with the film industry to promote Louisiana as a place to film the movies and TV shows.
0: Together, visit traininfo.com to find your local independent train dealer. traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. 1017 FM, 710 Keel, Mike M. McCarty. By the way, later this morning, uh, early we talked about the city master plan and uh, we're going to have Dr. Philip Roseman come join us in studio after the 8 o'clock news. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the chairman of the original committee on the master plan committee. Okay. So he's going to tell us about what they did, you know, on the mm-hmm. original master plan and why is this being brought up now?
1: Yeah, is it, does it, was it planned to be updated? Did right. We need to update it. Yeah. It, that's a good question. Dog lover on that end of the table. Dog lover here. Oh my here. gosh. Yeah. Dog lover over there. We all love our pups. I ran into a pup, uh, story that I, I just couldn't avoid. It's at keelnews.com. Her name is Zoe. She's a, um, part Labrador, part German Shepherd mix. She hails from Metairie, Louisiana. She is a gorgeous animal, but she now holds a Guinness World Record for the length of her tongue. (laughs) Okay. We're not measuring it from all the way deep inside her mouth. Right. We're measuring it from the tip of her nose to the end of her tongue where it But she can
0: get it in her mouth normally, right? She can
1: get it in her mouth, but she's drooling a lot. That tongue measures five inches outside. It dangles five inches outside. That's the length of a soda can or a Bic (laughs) pen. You got a Bic pen around? That's how long her tongue hangs out of her mouth.
0: Oh, gosh.
1: Now, she does drool a lot. Yeah. She does uh, flap it around a lot, drinks a lot of water. But she broke the record. The old record, I think, was like just under four inches. So she plastered the old record, and her parents say that – I think Sadie and Drew Williams, they live in Metairie. They say that you know a lot of people come up because she's so lovable. They come up to pet her, and they warn them, you know, you're going to probably get drool on you, (laughs) and people don't care. And so they'll walk off with a big drool stain. But you can see Zoe at keelnews.com, the longest tongue on a living dog – and there's videos of her playing on the beach and But as long
0: uh, as she can get it in her mouth normally.
1: Yeah, she's she's okay. It's not a deformity, okay. but yeah. it, it's a uh she's always got it dangling Cause when I've she's seen, running.
0: Like some of these I don't know if it's a pug or some of these smaller dogs and the tongue is out, <laughs> it never goes in.
1: But you know, I have a I have a thing with my dog, Beau. My grand dog, Bo, I should say, that you know. Well, he's your dog now. Yeah, he's my dog now. If you know, if he wants something special or he's wanting to do something, I say, give me a kiss, and he'll give me a little lick on the cheek. I'm not sure if I'm going there with Zoe. I'm not sure I'm going to say, hey, Zoe, give me a kiss. It'd be like, you just got your face washed.
0: Paint your whole face.
1: Yeah, but what a beautiful dog and just gorgeous. Dogs are the best. Dogs are just the best. Unconditional love. And I'm telling you what, this morning I had a moment with mine. Uh, He knows that, uh, you know, Pops is, I don't even say the D word anymore because I can't say it around him. But he'll roll on his back. And I'll, you know,
0: he, uh, I
1: I can't say daddy around him because he's, if he hears a noise, he thinks daddy's home. Oh, you know, he looks up and he thinks, yeah, he's looking for daddy, Yeah, but he rolled on his back and he just wanted a good belly rub. And he looked at me this morning with the face of God, I love dogs. We shouldn't be going off on a dog story, but I know a lot of people do. He looked at me with the face of, you know what? You're not bad at this belly rubbing thing. <laughs> You'll do. You'll do. Yeah. It was used to daddy's, you know, belly rubs, but he looked at me like, okay, you might have this. He still misses daddy, but he's like, I, they, can, they I can adjust. Handle it. Yeah. They he's adjusting. Adjust. Yeah. But I don't want a Zoe kiss, a five inch. We, yeah. <laughs> we've got,
0: we've got two left and one's not doing well. Uh, she's just, bless her heart. She's got some kind of a mass. I think in her heart or between her heart and her Mm -hmm. lungs, the vet said. And so basically it's palliative care at this point.
1: Oh, goodness. Just
0: trying to keep her comfortable Comfortable. and happy.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Uh, and and, That's important. And our other one, she's just spoiled rotten. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. She thinks that my chair is her chair.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: But, uh, coming up at 740, by the way, uh, State Representative Beryl Amity is uh, going to talk with us her bill um, um, for mandatory legendary margaritas, the Oyster Bar and Grill, at the corner of Line and Piermont, right under the blue awning. 1017 FM 710 Keel, Mike and McCarty, just in front of a State Rep Barry.
1: and see them today, 7700 West 70th in Shreveport, or check them out online, campersrvcenter.com.
0: FM, 710 Keel, Mike and McCarty on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline. State Representative Beryl Amity joining us. Good morning. How are you this morning, ma'am?
6: Good morning. Doing well. We're wrapping up these final days of session. Mm -hmm. Thank you
0: for uh, joining us. Uh, Speaking of wrapping up the session, congratulations on your bill passing. Uh, Mandatory recess. It's 15-minute minimum. But one of the questions was, I know there's 360 minutes of instruction time required. Does this add to that time, or is this part of that instruction time?
6: This does not add to the instruction time. The original version of this bill would have allowed schools to count recess towards instructional time allotment, but that didn't seem to be a very popular idea. Um, I personally feel that recess is that important, but not everybody agreed.
0: So does it add to the, to the school day? Does it make it a, a longer school day?
6: No, it really doesn't. The uh, state superintendent of schools, Kay Brumley, has assured me that every school that doesn't currently have at least 15 minutes of recess for the lower elementary grade is able to find 15 minutes sometime within the school day without extending the school day hours.
1: Okay, they will trim, like, uh, the time between classes. Will they be trimming lunch? I mean, have you, do you have any idea what will be trimmed?
6: That's going to be up to each school district and in some districts up to the individual school. I don't believe they're going to be trimming lunch because in many schools, lunch is already down to only 20 minutes. I believe that they will find that time during other parts of the day that are, are not crucial instructional minutes. For example, maybe homeroom.
1: Okay, could they start schools a smidge earlier? Is that a possibility?
6: That's up to the school districts if they'd like to, but the bill
1: does not require it. okay, How important? I know we want to get to the nuts and bolts of this, but you know I have lots of friends who teach school, and I'm sure you do as well. um education background. How important is it to let kids have a recess and and run off oh, some it's
6: steam? vital mhm oh it's it's absolutely important um as you know. They've discovered that long airline flights can be hazardous to our health because we don't stand up and stretch our legs and you can get blood clots and such. And federal labor laws require that if you're going to have adult employees working more than a certain number of hours a day, you are, you must give them breaks where those breaks cannot include assigned work. So recess for children is even more important. These children are still growing and developing. So the um, American Academy of Pediatrics has even weighed in. They've done studies, and, and their policy statement says that brain scans have shown that kids learn better after a break for physical activity and unstructured play
0: but it's very important but recess is more than just letting them burn off steam uh that's when you learn interaction skills you learn mm-hmm. social skills you learn teamwork you learn cooperation uh there it's so vital that they have that f- so-called free time to to correct not only burn off that steam but it's 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 a critical learning period
6: absolutely and um The unstructured but supervised playtime allow for all those social interactions, and right now, in many cases, a lot of that social interaction is missing in these younger years, and it's very likely that that's part of the reason that we're having problems in society right now, where people can't even talk about something that they disagree with without um,
1: getting into arguments. Most of our schools here we talked with say they already have the have recess. There are only a handful that are not having recess. Is that accurate or no? Did you find different?
6: That is accurate. Uh, the survey that was done by the Department of Education found that we're only talking about 11% of schools. Around 11% have less than 15 minutes of recess. So it shouldn't change much in the vast majority of schools in our state, only the ones that lack recess.
1: Now, the Louisiana Federation of Teachers opposed your bill, saying that it was going to be another requirement, placing more work on teachers, employees, administrators, and students. How do you answer those, those issues?
6: Well, in the school districts that have recessed or that kept it or reinstated it after it was missing, what they've experienced are the positive results. The educators themselves have noted that the recess gives the kids time to socialize, like we were just talking about. It stimulates brain function. It builds their bodies. As a result, they're less emotionally stressed. They're less anxious. And once they leave the playground and come back into the classroom, they're more focused. They're more on point and ready to take in material. The teachers don't have to spend a lot of time reviewing anything because the children have processed what they learned before, and they're ready to move forward. And the change in their focus is dramatic. They're not so fidgety. They're not so distracted. And teachers even report that they even make more eye contact after some free, unstructured playtime.
0: Talking with State Rep. Beryl Amity, um, her bill requiring mandatory recess, at least 15 minutes. Uh, Beryl, this addresses K-5 through five children. What about, what about uh, the rest of the grades, especially middle school?
6: Well, personally, I'm a big fan of recess for all the reasons that we've been talking about here. And my original bill a few years ago would have required a minimum of 30 minutes, and it would have gone all the way up through high school. But there just wasn't a lot of agreement on that. So we have to start where we can. And I believe that a little recess time is most critical in these younger grades.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: What was the biggest objections in the uh, middle
1: and high school levels?
6: Mainly the the scheduling time. The, the farther you go towards high school, the, the more subject-focused, The students have and they they just argued that we don't want to try and interrupt the scheduling Uh, like high school. Some have have the four by four schedule. Some of them, they they do different things with all those subjects that they're required to have for graduation. And it it just seemed that to some schools that was going to be a great interruption. I can understand
0: with high school. I mean, P.E. would also kind of may, you know, Mm -hmm. replace that. Uh, recess.
6: Well, PE is not really a replacement for recess. Yes, PE is required through most grades. Once you get to high school, you only have so many credits of PE that are required. But PE involves physical activity, but it's structured. It's not free play time. It doesn't give your brain the break that we're looking for here, where you take the time to digest all that you've learned and, and get ready to move on to the next thing. PE is still an actual class.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh Cade Brumley this morning, I asked if this goes into effect August 1. This fall, he said yes if the governor signs it. You anticipate no problems with the governor. I mean, it passed with uh, 39 zip, I think, right?
6: I don't anticipate any problems with the governor. Whenever we passed this bill in this final form, we really had much agreement. We had taken care of the concerns of the vast majority of stakeholders. I believe the only holdouts were, as you mentioned, the uh, teacher unions or possibly the school boards association. And and their arguments were really simply that they don't want to mess with schedules. Mm -hmm. But truly, as I said, this is only going to affect about 11 percent of the schools And we're talking about the grades where this this free brain time is most... Expect intriguing mystery. Expect the undetectives. Start streaming
0: today at quickbox.com. 1017 FM, 710 Keel, Mike and McCarty. I have to say, I'm, I'm really disappointed that this permitless carry legislation bill failed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, once again, I don't know, it, technically you won't say it failed. Uh, oil city reps, uh, Billy McCormick pulled it. Danny. Danny McCormick, mm-hmm. that's what I said, pulled it because, uh, they just kept adding amendments to it.
1: Yeah, watering it down. One of the amendments was requiring some uh, training time. Um, they were adding a lot of things to it, and finally, I, I guess he got fed up. I mean, he was like, "No, I don't want that on my bill. I don't want that on my bill. I'll bring it back next year." I think is what he said essentially.
0: But if somebody has the right to carry concealed, okay, how how are you going to legislate training? I mean, that, that you're going to go up because somebody
1: go are you carrying? Did you get training? Uh, that's a good question. How would you require that? How would you, require how do you police that? that? I don't know. I don't know. If, if you find me with a gun in my purse, I guess you could say, show me proof you got trained. There's got to be some well, sort no, of You way can't
0: you... go to somebody and go, show me your papers. I know. I know. But I mean, if come you, on. If
1: you found me with a We're not, not living gun, in
0: California for crying out loud. Mm-hmm.
1: I know. This is America. Right. Exactly. So I don't know. It was. It would have... It would have caused a whole nother level. But I'm going to tell you, he faces, um, you know, the Police Chiefs Association opposed his bill. There were a lot of other groups that opposed the bill um, because they were concerned that now they're not worried about you and me carrying a gun. They're worried about the criminals carrying guns. They're concealed. already
0: carrying concealed. And that's
1: the, that's the problem. That's exactly this the problem. All this does
0: is allow us a level playing field, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, to, for citizens to be able to protect themselves,
1: right? Exactly, and there there were also some concerns too that if, um, let's use Reuben for an example, because it wouldn't happen with you or I. Let's say Reuben's got a gun in his pocket <laughs> and he's carrying concealed, and and one night Reuben, you know, a law-abiding citizen, um,
0: for the most part, for
1: the most part, yeah, knock on wood. <laughs> um, let's say Reuben got into a little. Uh, brouhaha, yeah, with somebody, and it tempers flared. They They are concerned that people that are, if more and more people are carrying concealed guns, those kind of arguments could escalate into violence.
0: But when you look at states that already have permitless carry, those arguments don't hold up. The the numbers don't bear that out. I know.
1: I know. I I, know. know. I'm just telling you what they're saying. The
0: violent crime goes down. It's like Foxworthy said. He says if you look at a house that's got three foot grass in the yard, (laughs) there's a dog on the porch and a car parked on blocks. There's a gun in that house. Yeah.
1: You're, <laughs> you're not going in that right. house. Right, exactly. Exactly.
0: And, you, and if you, you're fear mm-hmm. that somebody's carrying, there may be less, less of an option for somebody to... With modern features, call the plumber number today, 318-255-1332, or visit markjohnsonplumbing.com. 1017 FM, 710 Kiel, Mike and McCarty. And uh, in studio with us, Dr. Philip Roseman. Uh, Philip, you were the um, chairman of the Master Plan Committee.
7: Yeah, I was co-chair with David Aubrey of the
0: uh, Master Plan Committee, the community advisory group. Now, it's interesting. I'm looking at the Master Plan. You made a statement a moment ago when we were uh, off mic getting ready to discuss this that you said, you know, this is the 2030 Master Plan and we need to be implementing it at this point, not trying to
7: change it. Right. I mean, this is the 2030 master plan, and it's meant to be implemented. We should be working on it. Our leaders should be working on it. Uh, this wasn't done behind the scenes in a small room with a limited number of people. Uh, kudos, basically, to Mayor Glover at the time and the council and the commission and the MPC at the time uh, opened this up to the public. We had over a thousand people. We met in every high school in the city. We met at the convention center. Uh, we listened to people. We pro- had people prioritize what was important, uh, to them and what was important for our community. Um, and now taking it back, back into the dark room again with one person, uh, and the MPC, that's not the way, uh, to build confidence you know in in what we're doing with the master plan
1: what was the master plan when when you guys got together it was a large group that worked on it um you had different committees that worked on different areas i understand it uh, was it intended that you were going to tweak it that it would be updated from time to time
7: well it should be looked at and uh, uh updated at the uh, really close to where we are in 2030 when we look and see where we've been what we've done uh, and uh, where we need to go from there. Um, but, uh, you know, it was meant to there, – there's a lot on there that's being worked on right now, and we should be spending our efforts doing that. We don't need to be using it as a political tool, which in some ways I think this may be part of that.
1: Um, Only one company submitted a proposal when the MPC sent out on RFP. Only one company responded. Um, and that company has subcontractors that are with pretty strong ties to the Allendale Strong Group. Um, I said I smelled a dead fish. Do you smell something different?
7: No, I mean, it's 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 worrisome. Um, you know, there's certainly conflicts of interest here that I think are significant. Uh, there's people with singular interests. That are, I think, working against the common interest of the community, uh, and against the will of the community. Uh, and the idea of a master plan is to develop something that's the will of a community, something we can look forward to and move toward, uh, as, uh, as we go through the future. They're definitely, they definitely need to
0: stop, uh, today and rethink. So they're meeting today at three o'clock. The Metropolitan Planning Commission to uh, to vote on whether or not to accept this proposal, the one proposal they got from their RFP. Uh, if you could address the commission right now, what would you say to the to the Metropolitan Planning Commission?
7: Well, I I think there's a a lot of concern about the difference between common interests and singular interests, as I discussed a minute ago. Um, I think there's gonna be complete loss of confidence in the community, uh from the community for the MPC, uh, if they go forward with this. Uh the letter from uh uh, uh Mr. Magner, Dr. Magner, uh and uh and the committee of a hundred was uh uh I'm truthful, um because Tim is a very truthful individual uh and uh i think there's uh if i would tell them you need to rethink this uh put it away i really think you need to just get to work on the master plan but you definitely don't do the say yes to just one rfp uh in something as major as turning around a master plan and
0: if somebody's just joining us by the way the one rfp is we're talking about the i-49 interconnector we haven't mentioned that this morning uh we talked about that yesterday at at, at length uh but that's what it that's what is has become a major concern right now there's a, a group that opposes finishing i-49 uh, mm-hmm. through through the group allendale strong and this rfp that received only one proposal and uh, now the um, Metropolitan Planning Commission is is voting on whether or not to accept that one proposal, or should they step back, regroup, and uh, resubmit another RFP? I think they need to step back, regroup, and
7: and start implementing the master plan. Uh, I don't even I don't even think it's wise to step back and do another RV, RFP if they if that's what they need. That needs we need to know exactly why.
1: Yeah, who uh, they who sparked that. that? Yeah,
7: why, I have no why did idea. This come about? I mean, that's, that's the question. Mm-hmm. Where did it come from? Um, you know, and what are they intending to do? And nobody's answered that question. I suppose they're going to answer that today, uh, in their meeting. I would hope. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think there's a need to revise the master plan right now. Uh, you, you need to show the reason, uh, that it's necessary.
1: I got a text just now from the, uh, some folks with the Allendale Strong who said, quote, LeVette Fuller set up the tweak on the master plan when she was on the city council and the council approved it. Uh, did you have any knowledge about that? Do not know. Okay. So we'll have to reach out to her and find out why she wanted it tweaked. I mean, she, is it, a lot of people are suspecting it is only about changing the I-49 inner city connector and nothing else. And, and why?
7: Yeah. So let's find out why. Okay. And, uh, let's make a determination, uh, about that, uh, whether it's meaningful enough to, to go into a revision. Uh, there been, Lavette Fuller has been, has worked positively with the master plan in her time as counsel. Jeff Everson, Epperson was another one that worked positively with the master plan and moved efforts forward. And, uh, we, we need to find the champions uh, of today. Uh, to move forward the the vision of the master plan
1: got another question on my text for you from a state rep who says ask dr. Roseman quote for exactly what his master plan envisioned for Shreveport for 2030
7: that's a long answer but (laughs) I I would say first of all we envisioned um, uh, we envisioned something of using what's positive about Shreveport and expanding upon it building upon our uniqueness uh, as a community, uh, the master plan was about investing in people. So when we asked people what they thought were the most important things that we needed to do to improve, number one was education. Number two was roads and, uh, and the I-49 connector. Uh, number three, uh, uh was, uh, uh, small businesses, increasing small businesses and workforce development. Number four, uh, when we asked the community was downtown restoration, number five was crime prevention. And these were ideas from our citizens, and, and basically we took those ideas and, and the best practices from around the country, and that's how we developed, uh, the plan. Mm-hmm.
0: We're talking with Dr. Custom Exteriors. For more information, look online at dot Sbccustoms.com. sbccustoms.com. FM, 710 Keel, Mike and McCarty in studio with Dr. Philip Roseman, chairman of the 2030 Master Plan Committee. Yesterday, the statement was made that the 2030 Master Plan does not include I-49, but that's not exactly correct. It's got
1: a piece of the I-49 mentioned, and I got a text from the Allendale Strong folks just now. Not related at all to 49. In fact, they specifically instructed Goody Clancy not to include 49 in the discussions because it was, quote, controversial. Philip Roseman, what ye say to that?
7: Well, first, I-49 and the Intercity Connector and the idea of us reaching out to the world, uh, is in the visioning statement, the actual vision statement of, of the community advisory group. For the master plan, so it's at the very top of the list of things uh, that we talk about. It was uh, roads and education were the top two areas uh, that the people of our community felt we needed to work on as opportunities of improvement, and the uh, I-49 interstate connector is part of that. Second, um, it's there, uh, and Goody and Clancy included it. Uh, because I think the people put it as such a high, important thing when they heard what was said in the very visioning statements. Uh, they were true to their word that they were going to make this uh, a master plan that ba- were, was based on people's view in the community and not just, like I say, behind a closed door in a dark room making decisions.
1: For them to say that Goody Clancy didn't include it it seems disingenuous.
7: Well, I don't know where they get that. I think if you ask Goody and Clancy, uh, uh, you know, about their feeling about it, that may be their feeling. But the fact is that the people of this community uh, felt that this was something that was needed and wanted and felt it was something important for the community. Uh, I think it's a little disingenuous to say this. I think it's actually untruthful. Uh, it is in, the, uh, the master plan. It's in the visioning statement. Um, and I would refer, you know, them back to the... Explain
1: to, that. to folks who Goody and Clancy
7: are, for people who are just on this train. Today. They're the consulting group that was hired, uh, by the commission and the council, uh, to, to develop the master plan. Uh, They're the ones that developed the process for the master plan. They're the ones that did the writing on the master plan. They took the information and and put it together. And they did a very good job uh, of what they were uh, done. In in fact, it's not only a master plan of, quote, vision. It's a master plan that shows how to implement each and every one of their uh, individual uh, issues uh, that were noted. So there's a whole resource guide uh, that came with this. Uh, looking at our community and who might be the leader who might be
0: helpful in moving forward every one of the recommendations that were put forward i'm looking at the vision statement in the master plan wanted in uh, this sentence as a transport, i'm quoting as a transportation crossroads of rail lines and highways including an extended i-49 and with a successful river port we reach out to the nation and the world and that's so true and you know
7: one of the things this report could be uh with a both a, a north south interstate and the east west interstate is a true distribution center uh, and that means jobs uh and uh I, I don't think we should put away the possibilities that exist uh positively for our community and economic development uh, if we move as we move forward on the inner city connector and connecting up us as a, a city that has both uh, north, south and east, west corridor interstate
1: in the master plan, too. There's something that I, and it's not related to I-49, but it I'm curious about how much we have implemented, because one statement says better use of land, less sprawl, develop blighted areas. This plan has been in place for a long time, and it doesn't seem like we've made any progress on that one.
7: Well, I'd agree. Uh I don't think we've made a lot of proce- uh of uh, uh, uh movement positive on that. I do think uh, there's been s- uh some significant movement in the blight issue. Uh it continues to be an issue. I think there there've been attempts at policies uh to try to deal with that, but it's it's it remains a difficult issue. Uh I think mainly because of uh, worry about uh courts and 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 how to get title to properties and all those sort of things that seem to be things that make it difficult to do i'm not an expert on that but mm-hmm. i would agree i don't see a whole lot of difference we we could talk to the people at the city just to let them say mm-hmm. well i, I know
0: there was a recent story on com about the properties that were uh, slated for demolition yes. through the mayor arsono's mm-hmm. administration
1: starting to work on that will you be at the meeting today Yes. Okay. I'm
0: going to go and
7: speak, uh, as a, uh, representative of the community advisory group.
1: Okay. You're a racist because you want that freeway built. Don't forget.
7: Well, it's not all about the freeway. It's really all about uh, the whole master plan mm-hmm. and, and what we do. We, if we have a thousand plus people working on it in terms of taking their time, coming to meetings, uh, being, uh, part of it, uh, then I just can't bear the idea that we're going to uh, take it and have one person trump all those thousand plus people um, because that person is on the uh, on the Metropolitan Planning Commission. We we just need to keep this front and center mm-hmm. and open and transparent. There's a, a great quote of, uh, that I carry around all the time: "It's change happens at the speed of trust." And when people don't trust, we don't have change. We mm. do need change in this community. Yeah. And every time we do things like this, it destroys trust. Field of urology with a doctor from Oxnard
4: Regional Urology, presented by AARP Louisiana and A Bear's Town and Country.
0: 1017 FM, 710 KEO, Mike and McCarty. By the way, I cranked up my gasoline powered lawnmower yesterday with pride, mowed my front yard. It's getting hot already though. Mm-hmm. We got some hundred degree days on the way. Yeah. Unbelievable. So I needed a little recess.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs>
6: get right. it. Get it. Oh God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so bad. Barrel Amity, state rep, uh, did speak was about t- t- recess on party of Louisiana. Our next governor, Jeff Landry, paid for by Landry for
3: Louisiana.
0: 1017 FM, 710 Keel, Mike and McCarty on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline. State Representative Beryl Amity joining us. Good morning. How are you this morning, ma'am?
6: Good morning. Doing well. We're wrapping up these final days of session. Mm -hmm. Thank you
0: for uh, joining us. Uh, Speaking of wrapping up the session, congratulations on your bill passing. Uh, Mandatory recess. It's 15-minute minimum. But uh, one of the questions was, I know there's 360 minutes of instruction time required. Does this add to that time or is this part of that instruction
6: time? This does not add to the instruction time. The original version of this bill would have allowed schools to count recess towards instructional time allotment, but that didn't seem to be a very popular idea. Um, I personally feel that recess is that important, but not everybody agreed.
0: So does it add to the to the school day? Does it make it a, a longer school day?
6: No, it really doesn't. The uh, state superintendent of schools, Kay Brumley, has assured me that every school that doesn't currently have at least 15 minutes of recess for the lower elementary grades is able to find 15 minutes sometime within the school day without extending the school day hours. Okay,
1: they will trim like uh, the time between classes. Will they be trimming lunch? I mean, do you have any idea what will be trimmed?
6: That's going to be up to each school district and in some districts up to the individual school. I don't believe they're going to be trimming lunch because in many schools, lunch is already down to only 20 minutes. I believe that they will find that time during other parts of the day that are, are not crucial instructional minutes. For example, maybe homeroom. Okay. Could they start school a smidge earlier? Is that a possibility? That's up to the school districts if they'd like to, but the bill does not require it. Okay.
1: How important, I know we want to get to the nuts and bolts of this, but you know, I have lots of friends who teach school, and I'm sure you do as well, uh, education background. How important is
6: it to let kids have a recess and and run off oh, some it's steam? Vital. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's absolutely important. Um, as you know, They've discovered that long airline flights can be hazardous to our health because we don't stand up and stretch our legs, and you can get blood clots and such. And federal labor laws require that if you're going to have adult employees working more than a certain number of hours a day, you are you must give them breaks where those breaks cannot include assigned work. So recess for children is even more important. These children are still growing and developing. So the um, American Academy of Pediatrics has even weighed in. They've done studies, and, and their policy statement says that brain scans have shown that kids learn better after a break for physical activity and unstructured play. it's very important
0: but recess is more than just letting them burn off steam uh that's when you learn interaction skills you learn Mm -hmm. social skills you learn teamwork you learn cooperation uh there it's so vital that they have that so-called free time to to correct not only burn off that steam but it's 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 a critical learning period
6: absolutely and um the unstructured but supervised playtime allow for all those social interactions and right now in many cases a lot of that social interaction is missing in these younger years and it's very likely that that's part of the reason that we're having problems in society right now where people can't even talk about something that they disagree with without um getting into arguments most of our
1: schools here we talked with say they already have the, have recess. There are only a handful that are not having recess. Is that accurate or no? Did you find different?
6: That is accurate. Uh, the survey that was done by the Department of Education found that we're only talking about 11% of schools. Around 11% have less than 15 minutes of recess. So it shouldn't change much in the vast majority of schools in our state, only the ones that lack recess.
1: Now, the Louisiana Federation of Teachers opposed your bill, saying that it was going to be another requirement, placing more work on teachers, employees, administrators, and students. How do you answer those those issues?
6: Well, in the school districts that have recessed or that kept it or reinstated it after it was missing, what they've experienced are the positive results. The educators themselves have noted that the recess gives the kids time to socialize, like we were just talking about. It stimulates brain function. It builds their bodies. As a result, they're less emotionally stressed. They're less anxious. And once they leave the playground and come back into the classroom, they're more focused. They're more on point and ready to take in material. The teachers don't have to spend a lot of time reviewing anything because the children have processed what they learned before and they're ready to move forward. And the change in their focus is dramatic. They're not so fidgety. They're not so distracted. And teachers even report that they even make more eye contact after some free, unstructured playtime.
0: Talking with State Rep. Beryl Amity, um, her bill requiring mandatory recess at least 15 minutes. Uh, Beryl, this addresses K-5 through five children. What about, what about uh, the rest of the grades, especially middle school?
6: Well, personally, I'm a big fan of recess for all the reasons that we've been talking about here. And my original bill a few years ago would have required a minimum of 30 minutes, and it would have gone all the way up through high school. But there just wasn't a lot of agreement on that. So we have to start where we can. And I believe that a little recess time is most critical in these younger grades. Mm-hmm.
1: What was the biggest objections in the uh, middle and high school levels?
6: Mainly the, the scheduling time. The the farther you go towards high school, the, the more subject-focused, the students have, and they they just argued that we don't want to try and interrupt the scheduling uh, like high school. Some have, have the four by four schedule. Some of them they they do different things with all those subjects that they're required to have for graduation. And it it just seemed that to some schools that was going to be a great interruption. I can but understand I
0: with high school. I mean, PE would also kind of may you know mm-hmm. replace that. Uh, recess.
6: Well, P.E. is not really a replacement for recess. Yes, P.E. is required through most grades. Once you get to high school, you only have so many credits of P.E. that are required. But P.E. involves physical activity, but it's structured. It's not free play time. It doesn't give your brain the break that we're looking for here, where you take the time to digest all that you've learned and, and get ready to move on to the next thing. PE is still an actual class. Cade mm-hmm.
1: uh, Brumley this morning, I asked if this goes into effect August 1. This fall, he said yes, if the governor signs it. You anticipate no problems with the governor. I mean, it passed with uh, 39 zip, I think, right?
6: I don't anticipate any problems with the governor. Whenever we passed this bill in this final form, we really had... Much agreement. We had taken care of the concerns of the vast majority of stakeholders. I believe the only holdouts were, as you mentioned, the uh, teacher unions or possibly the school boards association and and their arguments were really simply that they don't want to mess with schedules. Mm-hmm. But truly, as I said, this credit is-
0: union call one for details about credit costs and terms. Interest will accrue during ninety day deferral period. Federally insured by NCUA. for contest details. 101.7 FM, 710 Keel, 54 minutes past the hour. <laughs> Mike and McCarty.
1: This will hurt him, won't it? <laughs> yeah, don't throw that don't at me. Don't throw a coffee mug. <laughs>
0: An empty that water bottle. Hurt. Empty yeah. water bottle's is one thing, but not the not <laughs> yeah, porcelain that, coffee mug. Oh. That, that thing would put a knot on this noggin. I do
1: that. That putrid voice that some of the. Uh,
0: <laughs> when
1: you do that voice, are you holding one to a body part or something? <laughs> <laughs> what are what are we doing? That's my
0: broadcast voice, <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us would this like, morning. Do
1: you like my sexy Jessica Rabbit voice?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not even close, was it?
0: Now, now we're just,
7: now we're just cracking on hack radio.
4: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh my goodness. Wow. I got to watch the MPC meeting today at three o'clock. I'm, I think sparks may fly. Um, so it's I'm gonna... going
0: to be, yeah, it is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I, I am also, uh, I can't come, but I won't be able to be there but uh I'm like yeah I'm I'm going to try to tune it in. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I'll watch it. I'll if watch I'm in it
0: Studio because yeah. I'm interested to see how many people are going to show up.
1: Mm-hmm. right and, it, and
0: address the commission.
1: Are they going to sign up to speak? Um and what's the purpose? Let's let's just say why we're doing a review of the 2030 master plan. Was it at the request of former councilwoman LeVette Fuller? Did the council approve that? Um, Is that why, you know, Alan Clark called me yesterday and and they don't do anything like this without some sort of directive from someone.
0: Okay. What's causing all this consternation is the I-49 interconnector. The finishing this three-mile segment connecting I-49 from from the north coming in from Mm -hmm. the south. Yes. And if this were put to a vote... Is this something that could be put to a vote for the I would, city?
1: I would love that to be put to I a mean, vote. I mean,
0: if it's causing this much issue, okay, mm-hmm. let's put it to a vote. Mm-hmm. Let's see what the citizens of Shreveport say about finishing 49. What a
1: brilliant idea. Let's put it on the ballot.
0: Put it on the ballot. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's causing this much much of an issue, let's see how much it's really causing.
1: The Allendale Strong folks would never... Let it get to a ballot. Never in a million years. But then, what they, does that say? Well, well, and, and I understand their point. They will say you're letting the whole city make a determination for our one neighborhood, which would be unfair. Okay, and but get now that. the
0: argument is you're letting one neighborhood determine what's best for the
1: entire city and state. And stop this it. entire yeah. region. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Exactly right. I don't live in Allendale. I don't know how strongly I would feel if I did. I know I wouldn't want a freeway coming through my area. But the horse is out of the barn is the problem. The freeway stops at I-20 and it picks up three miles north of there. The loop approach is just not what is best for the city. Especially
0: not running it over our water supply.
1: Yes, and then people will say, well, trucks are going over to the Cross Lake Bridge anyway. Not to the tune of... An interstate highway, and, in, and that's where they go, that's where they're routed, they have to decide to go around the loop and to take the loop. And I know people are coming in on I-49, and they're taking the loop now, and they're treating it as an interstate, and then they're connecting back to I-49, you know, on I-20. I understand that. But we would have to do some major upgrades to that bridge. Yeah. I just, uh, it's frustrating.
0: Meeting today, 3 o'clock. Shreveport Metropolitan Planning Commission public is invited. People are allowed to speak. You'll have three minutes if you wish to address the commission, uh, regardless of how you feel on the issue. We'll find out. We'll be watching and uh, we'll talk about.